So we're going to do the first segment today as instruction. Okay, it will be a little bit interactive in the sense that I'll, I'll solicit some questions and, and, and also kind of we'll, we'll go back and forth a little bit. So some inter interactive instruction. And then we're going to give you a moment for application where you, we're actually going to ask you to take a few minutes and practice what I just taught you in terms of formulating your own personal testimony and story using some of the principles that I'm going to share. And then in the last, we'll, then we'll give you a chance to practice with either a group of two or three and just practice sharing your story as you've, as you've described it. And then we'll close with a little time of Q&A. Does that sound good? So uh, as I said, and some of you may or may not know, my name is Hazen Stevens. I'm an executive pastor here, and I have a passion for our commitment to go from the neighborhoods to the nations and for us to do what we talked about last week and this week, and that is express on the road our faith, right? And it's such an amazing thing that we get to come to the altar and we get to make sacrifice to the Lord in our worship, our praise, our giving. And it's in that place that we interact with God vertically, right? And we have an altar of corporate worship and prayer, 24-7 worship and prayer. And hopefully you guys have altars in your homes and your personal devotional life that you don't only interact with God in a corporate environment. You don't in interact with God on your own, but there's a healthy rhythm where you're with God on your own and you're with God together with others, right? And then there's this thing that we build a table and we try and include time and space and resource for the table dynamic. Literally, we're, we're going to in this class, we'll get to taste altar, table, and road. We'll pray at some point. We're going to talk to God together. You're enjoying table. We have set a table before you today, not in the presence of your enemies, but in the presence of friends, right? And we're just getting to have food and fellowship, and we've got whole families in here. And you know what? That's no problem. Like, not for me, because I got four kids, 12, 8, 7, and 6. So I've learned to focus on what someone has to say when somebody's tapping on my shoulder. So no problem that we have kids in here and nothing better than that we would raise our families in the house of the Lord together that you kids would be here. So we're just glad that they're here and you guys are, are welcome. And so we're building a table of spiritual family and then, and then road from our neighbors to the nations. We take the gospel message. There are certain ways we engage with the road. You might go on a short-term missions trip. You might give to a missionary. You might pray for a missionary like we talked about today. Or you might actually get to be a missionary to your neighbor, right? And that's a little bit what I talked about last week. If you find yourself in this workshop and you didn't actually get the context of last week's message, we have it up online for you to go back and review. And I was just kind of talking about this reality of neighborhood. And what we want to do, one of the things that I've recently been learning from some, some of the best churches in America about how they effectively pastor their congregations and some of the guys that have been mentoring me and training me have said, you just have to make it so simple for people to get started. Because once people get started, they, they find a taste for what they're excited about and they won't stop. And that's what I'm hoping for in this, like that we would give you a taste, lower the barriers, right, of, of what it means to share your faith, give you a taste of how easy it could be that you would get to do that and then that you would, that you would want more. And so even though we believe in calling people to hard things, I hope people in this class become a missionary to Africa. I know that if we set that as the standard and it'll give you a first step, it's going to be hard for you to, a lot of times for you to get there, right? And so what we do is we get you in motion and we realize, hey, let's, let's start with things that everybody can do as a believer. Every person in this room, you may not be able to share the doctrine of justification yet, right? You may not be able to define for somebody really what propitiation or or, uh, you know, a, a substitutionary atonement, like these foundational thoughts. You're like, 
could we actually have a separate seminar on those for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> on those, you may not, that may, you know, you may be a new believer. You may be someone that, that it's like, that's those theological terms are heady. And, you know, you're like, I just love Jesus. I just want to tell, okay. So what we want to do is we want to make it as simple as possible for you to feel confident sharing something that I, I can tell you, honestly, in my own experience is probably the most effective thing that you can do to share, to share with someone. And that is learn to effectively share your own story. Okay. There are three hurdles that I mentioned last week, three, a four. Does anybody remember them from my message? Just curious. Busyness. That's one of them. Thank you for making time to be here today. Fear. Uncertainty. You were taking notes. You were paying attention, right? For me. And I derived that list just by paying attention to my own. What are the things that prevent me? You know, and so things I can relate to is busyness, right? Uncertainty, fear, and then, uh, and then uh, procrastination, right? Like there'll always be next year. You know, and maybe I'll talk to them at Thanksgiving about next year. And it's like your aunt, your uncle, your family, they may not have it next year. And that's just true. That's not to put fear in us. It's just to realize there is an urgency to to equipping ourselves and learning to be able to share the gospel. And so one of those that I mentioned is is I don't know what to say is the way that I frame it. And so, but if you can learn to effectively share the story of what God's done in your own life, you can be an effective witness for Jesus. And one of the things I love to tell people is sometimes they've had not great experience in evangelism, equipping people that, that have the skill, but they don't necessarily have the heart. We want to have both have heart and skill. But sometimes what that does is make people feel like I've got to be an apologist in order to actually effectively share my faith. And the bar gets set so high that it feels like I could never attain to that. And so we never start, Right. An apologist is someone that argues on behalf of the faith. And it's like, you know, I'm afraid I won't be able to answer their questions. And in the process of sharing what God's done in your life, you get to be a witness. You don't have to be a prosecutor. And a lot of times we think, okay, I've got to be a prosecutor. I've got to be the one to, I've got to be the one who's the lawyer in the trial, you know? And the truth is you're not, you're just, you're a witness. And, and John, the beloved disciple, like he talks about that in first John one, I've been uh, meditating some on that passage. And in it, he says, I'm, I'm telling you about what I've touched and what I've seen. And this one that I've touched and seen, he is the word of life. Hallelujah. Right. He is the one who actually his words came into my life, took my dead spirit. And when I believed upon the things that he said, the testimony of the apostles written in the gospels, like when I heard that testimony, something entered my spirit supernaturally. I, I experienced newness of life and things began to change. And I get touched about it just thinking about it. Because it's so real. Something so real has happened to me. And it's mysterious and challenging to articulate. But if I articulate that, you know, oftentimes people look at me and go, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but I believe what you happened. What happened to you is real. <laughs> and I don't know exactly how to, I, I can't argue with it, but I know that it's, I know that it's real. Um, because I, I recognize you're not crazy and you're not a liar. Right. And so. But there are a couple of things that trip us up, and this is where we'll kind of pivot into the notes. We'll talk a little bit today about what trips us up in actually sharing our testimony and how to begin to do it both with heart and skill. It doesn't take a lot of skill, but a little bit of skill, a few points that we're going to give you today, and you guys are going to feel, firstly, so much more confident being able to share it. And then secondly, you're just going to be more effective, okay? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few a few pointers, and again, I'm recording this so that I talk fast sometimes, sorry for that. So if it comes out fast, the other problem is sometimes I say things I didn't think about, but it's like, that's really good, but I can't remember how I just said it. So for my own, my own reference, <laughs> I've got it recorded. Like, oh, I should say that next time. What did I say? <laughs> um, and so 
but one of the things that we talked about even on Wednesday night, Lauren and I, when we hosted the, the uh, virtual one was, okay, are you sharing your story with an emphasis on what you think is important or what is important for your hearer? All right. And, and a lot of times if I said, okay, tell me your, I'd love to hear your life story or your story of faith, where most people want to kick off. In the beginning, when I was born, 1984, right? Have you ever heard somebody start, you're like, tell me about your life. And they start there and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long story. <laughs> and you immediately start to check out, even if you're interested, you know? And it's like, uh, most good stories start where the drama begins, okay? That's just a simple point of good storytelling. If the important features of your life begin at childbirth, then by all means, start there, okay? But but just like a lot of times I tell people, like, don't don't necessarily pick up the Bible and begin with the book of Genesis, because then you're going to have a problem when you reach Leviticus and Numbers. You know, like, go to where the drama really starts, and it's in the story of the gospel, you're going to have the most effective content. Like, begin with Mark. It's the shortest gospel. It's six, 16, yay, 17 chapters. I think it's six. I think it's 17, 17 chapters and 17 chapters. And you can, you can read it, you know, two, two and a half chapters a day. You can read it in two weeks. And so my point in saying that is in the same way that when you're telling people to read and learn the Bible, you start with the most important parts of the story is where people should begin, begin your own story of faith with the most important parts. Okay. So that's just a little tip I wanted to give you. Another thing that really trips people up in sharing the story of their, sharing their story of their faith is that they, uh, they're, they're first, they're not sure where to begin. And then secondly, they're not sure how to call people out of their story into action. Okay. And so I want to challenge you. These are two points that I think are really helpful that aren't necessarily expressed in the notes. So we'll get back to the notes in a moment, but I wanted to highlight those two points where to begin in your storytelling, begin at the most relevant place to, to your hearer. And then secondarily, and then secondarily, think about where you want to take them by the end of what you've shared. Does that make sense? And so I mentioned those two points. I'm going to model in just a moment what I'm teaching you. And you're going to be like, I see it. I see him doing it. You got me there. Okay. So, so these testimonies, they are our personal stories of transformation and how that's been enabled through the gospel. Right. And so each person in here, it might be a rough cut diamond. Okay. It may not be polished and sharpened, but each of you, in each one of you, is the gemstone of the transformation of the gospel. It is a, without a doubt why you are here. There is something that God has done in your life that is amazing and miraculous. Even if it's as simple as when I became a believer when I was eight years old. I started to feel convicted about fill in the blank, right? And that's not a normal human tendency. It's, it's not any of the tendencies of any of our lives to resist sin. Our tendency is to give ourselves to sin even in a greater and greater way. I can remember leading at a summer camp as a camp counselor, first opportunity in ministry, end up getting called into ministry out of that. I'm 21 years old, so this is... Let's just say it's a long time ago. And uh, I'm 20 years old, 21 years old, and I see kids making decisions for the Lord. And I'm spending a lot of time with them, you know, night and day because I'm their camp counselor. And their behavior was one way before that decision. Something happens and their behavior is entirely different. They want to worship. They want to pray. They're interested in the Bible study. 
And I go, and I just remember seeing that happen over and over again over the course of this one summer that I worked in particular. And I just remember going, man, like, yes, what I experienced is so real, but man, seeing it happen in somebody else's life real time, it's like, this is what everybody needs, okay? This is what every, everybody needs, a life-transforming encounter with Jesus, the risen Savior. Like, everybody needs that. And you get to give them the words of life, the gift of your experience that can move their heart towards that, okay? It's going to be a very rare thing unless you're very gifted as an evangelist, unless you're getting incredible breakthrough in prayer. But even then, it's going to be a very rare thing for you to have a conversation with someone and they all of a sudden fall on their knees. They want to give their life to Jesus. Like that is going to be, it'll happen. And I pray that it would, everyone would have, I've had many experiences like that. I could tell you story after story after story of someone who made a life transforming decision out of a conversation that we had. Most of those where someone's ready to make a life transforming story, it's because of 50 other conversations that they've had. You get to be one of those conversations in someone's, in someone's journey, in someone's story. We got him. <laughs> Good save, mama. <laughs> you get to be, you get to be, you get to be one link in the chain. You get to be, you get to be the person that, that moves that person forward and gets to show a prayer into their life. Amen. Amen. I know he's cute. We were all very concerned for him. But bring him. Stay with me. So, so yeah. So I say I say all that to just inspire you. Your testimony is powerful. It's transformational. Even if it's a rough cut diamond, set the expectations. What are you trying to do? You're trying to to tell the succinct, effective story of what Jesus has done in your life at, at, to inspire a person to move towards God. And every person in this room can do that on a daily basis. And that is effective, powerful, wonderful ministry. It'll change your life. It'll change the lives of people around you, okay? And you know what it is that's robbing you of that joy? You don't know what to say. You're busy. You're procrastinating. You're a little nervous. But not, don't let any of those things rob you of the joy of having these kinds of conversations and sharing what Jesus has done in your life with people. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you showed up on a Sunday afternoon for this seminar. You're like, get to it already. Okay, good. We're going to. But I, I, I just feel like it's worth saying because I know that, that unrealistic expectations can discourage us. A sense that I'm never going to be able to do it can discourage us. And I just know if you will start to move towards that goal, which is achievable for every person in this room to shape your story and share it effectively and share it regularly, you will be a dangerous witness for the dangerous in all the best ways for the kingdom of God. And God will anoint and bless that witness where people are like, wow, like I just like you, you were talking, but it was God talking to me. Like this was a God thing, you know, and you'll have that, that recognition all the time with people, you know, amen. I'm going to actually pause right there. Let's just go to the altar for a moment together. Let's pray. For just a moment, and then we'll we'll jump into the the point by point. Lord, I thank you for the first few minutes of this seminar. I pray that you'd help me to be effective and to the point. I pray that people would just feel that more than my natural words, they feel the Holy Spirit quickening on the inside of them, empowering them to say, "Yes, I can do this. Yes, I want to do this. I want to taste the joy of being one who wins souls to Christ. I want to transform people's lives the way Jesus has transformed my life." I want to say yes to this in a fresh way today. And God, you say you grant wisdom when we don't have it, when we ask. And so you give it generously without reproach. Lord, we ask you right now for wisdom from heaven. For just, I pray an impartation of wisdom from heaven. Things that have taken me years to shape and understand about being an effective witness. Let people get it in the moment. Let them get it with ease, God. 
let it just in their expand in their understanding and in their heart, a heart capacity to look at people with love and compassion. Lord, I, I just ask. I ask this for each and every one. I look at them across the room and I'm praying for each of you right now as my eyes fall on you. Lord, do this for each one right now, God. Do this for each one of the people in here right now. I pray for them. I lift up their public witness for Jesus. I pray that they would just be bold as lions, Lord. I pray that they would just have uh, mouths that the the accuser can't, they can't shut their mouths, can't shut down their witness. And I pray that that testimony would bring so much glory to Jesus. There would just be glory and healing and salvation that just comes out of out of how people use the little bits of wisdom in this in this seminar, and they would just take it would just multiply to feed nations, Lord, multiply to feed multitudes of hurting people, God. And we consider them, Lord, even as we consider ourselves today, Lord, with gratitude for what you've done in our lives. We consider the neighbor, friend, the person that needs to hear, the person we're going to pass by on the street tomorrow. Lord, we consider them right now. We pray for their sake, Lord. For their sake, help us, God. Move our hearts, Lord, with compassion and love, Lord. And remind us today, I pray so many people, I pray the right divine appointments for who people pair up with and that all of our parts of our stories would just be prophetically led and we would just be so provoked and edified as we leave. If everybody agreed with my prayer, give me an out loud amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So Colossians 1, six. this verse has been so provoking, and I mentioned it in my talk. Uh, one of the churches I mentioned I've been visiting, I realized a lot of times I'm like, I don't want it. I don't need to necessarily tell our church to invite friends to church. I'm like, I don't want it just to be about us and drawing people to us. Like, I'm like, if Jesus is drawn to, that's good. That's enough. But one of the things I discovered in the church I was visiting is that they really, really believe in their heart of hearts that if people will come to the table and get connected to spiritual family, their lives will be changed. They're going to meet Jesus. And that's the compelling, and that's the right motivation. So I realize sometimes I, you know, you can kind of overcorrect in false humility, but I'm just realizing like, so for you guys, look at this verse, Colossians 1, 6, the gospel is, Paul said, bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So Paul's going, look, this thing happened with Jesus. I'm a fruit of it. I was miraculously saved, but as I'm preaching, I'm seeing signs, wonders, miracles. I'm seeing churches multiplied, and he's going, this gospel is bearing fruit and transforming lives, the New Living Translation says. And he says, it's just as it's been done so among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And just admonishing you guys to know the gospel is advancing in the nations of the earth. It's advancing in our neighborhoods. It's advancing in the people. Just as the gospel is bearing fruit in your life, because sometimes we can believe this accusation, like nobody really wants to hear that. Like I was the exception or something <laughs> in my family. It's only me. It's only me serving you, God. You know? And he's just waiting. He's literally just waiting for you to share this message that is a fruit-bearing message that's going forth throughout the world. And it's changing lives just like it's changed your life. And just we anchor to that. And it's like when I'm like connected to that, I'm like, yeah, I need to invite people to church. Like, yeah, church has yeah, issues and it's, you know, no, like, don't, if you find the perfect church, don't go there. You're going to ruin it. Right. <laughs> like, like we're jacked up, but, but transformation in the midst of our human brokenness is happening and it's real. And by, and you get to invite people into that with your own story. And so just anchoring to this thought, testimonies are personal stories of transformation enabled through the gospel. Okay. Every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. So if you flip to the back page of your notes, that's how we're going to invite you to think about it. Beginning, 
middle, and end. Everybody say it with me now. Beginning, middle, and end. You're like, yes, we know this. Okay. But the truth is, though you may know it, like you really need to apply it to your own storytelling, right? Hannah Mwangi, she's, a, she's written stories, written children's books. She's amazing. Writer. Did you illustrate your own work? Okay. Illustrator and writer. I want to give you due credit. Hannah, do stories, what do stories have? Beginning, middle, and end. Okay, good. So I have professional corroboration on my assertion. Beginning, middle, and end. And so what does beginning do? It sets the stage for the reader or listener by giving context and backstory, right? Sometimes people will tell a story and the story is all beginning. <laughs> they don't actually arrive at the middle or the end. Have you ever, it's like, oh my gosh, that's a long story. <laughs> it's because they're just giving you the things that are important. That, and it's because they're telling you what they want you. It's like more like we're having a coffee time with a friend and I'm sharing with you what I want you. We're getting to know each other. We're building a relationship. And so it's not necessarily bad, okay? We're not applying this principle to all stories ever, although you will be a better storyteller if you apply this. But it's the idea that sharing your testimony is different than that, Okay. It's different than, hey, I just want to let you get to know me. You're trying to tell somebody something effective about what God has done in your life and your testimony. Okay? And these aren't rules. They're just principles. The principles of storytelling you see in any movie, any book, any person who is professionally creative in that way will tell you beginning, middle, end. Beginning sets the stage. gives you context. Right? And again, I'll model it in a moment. Then, uh, then the middle, what usually happens in the middle what makes a good story? What's the most important part of any story? Does anybody want to take a guess? Sharon, what'd you say? Conflict. That's right. Conflict or drama. <laughs> it's what makes the story interesting. Now, does conflict or drama always have to involve a, a person necessarily? No. Give me a good film that you've seen where the conflict or dra drama wasn't necessarily personified. It was, it was a circumstance or difficulty or an adversity or a problem. What'd you say? Grapes of Wrath. I think you're, I, I don't even can't reference the, the, the story of the Grapes of Wrath. So, you, oh, the Dust Bowl. Yeah, so the economic challenges of the times and then the, the natural disaster of the Dust Bowl. Anybody seen the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock? Or Apollo 13? Anybody seen that? These are space dramas where the machine fails and they've got to get back to Earth, right? Like that's the, that's the drama of the story. That's the conflict of the story. Other examples, yeah. Uh, Titanic. Titanic. Who was who the drama? It, the iceberg created the drama, right? In the movie Titanic, there were some, there, they made some additional drama or conflict. And then uh, sometimes the drama is our own inward barriers and conflicts, okay? I recently saw a beautiful movie. Parts of it are profane, but it was like Hello, Leslie, or something like that about a woman struggling with alcoholism. And it was about, it was a beautiful movie and I, it, because of her excellent acting portrayal of someone struggling with alcoholism and, and it was her own sabotage of her life and she was trying to overcome her own inner brokenness. And that was the conflict of the story, right? Um, the issue a lot of times with stories like that is, you know, so there's a hero in every story or a guide in every story oftentimes helps the hero or the protagonist overcome the obstacle or the barrier, right? So Frodo is the hero of Lord of the Rings. Gandalf would be the guide or the person that's, that's helping him to 
achieve his potential and to realize his, his goal. Ultimately, we want to remember something about our personal stories. While we, are, uh, we can be the hero oftentimes in our story, the real hero of our story is Jesus. Right. And our story, our testimony is, yes, how Jesus helped us overcome. But we give the glory with the honor to him because ultimately we're telling the story because we believe he's the one that's helped us overcome, experience transformation, seems some meaningful life change. And just learning to give the context, tell the conflict and explain how Jesus brought you into the victory. Like those three, that's key to good storytelling. Amen. Are you thinking in your own mind of the drama of your own story? Maybe, and you know what? It doesn't have to be fully resolved. Maybe you're sharing your testimony and you're midstream on working something out. That's okay. Jesus can still get glory from your incomplete story, right? It's just learning, learning how do I share that? Honestly, authentically, in a way that's compelling. And then the last thing would be that, uh, that now having learned to tell a good story, how do we call people into action? Right. And I already mentioned that the importance of that. We'll talk a little more about that maybe in the Q&A after you've practiced it. Um, so last thing I'll say related to the good, good storytelling. In summary, we want to give good context. We want to express the drama. We want to tell how Jesus has brought transformation, victory, even if it's partial. And we give glory to Jesus in that. And so. So in that, the, having the clear narrative thread. This is the other thing that I'll say is you have to pick a theme, say, say, pick a theme, <laughs> pick a theme. And, and I have a couple different parts of my story. How many of you feel like I have so many, I have so many things Jesus delivered me from, which one should I choose? <laughs> right? Don't do all of them. Just pick one, pick a theme. And as you develop your story, you might have a few different ones. And if you have a few stories kind of in your pocket for witnessing, one of the themes in my life has been how, how God has been a father to me. You know, one of the themes in my life is how Jesus helped me overcome pornography. Sorry, littles in the room, but uh, help helped overcome those those struggles in my life. Another theme in my life has been how God called me to ministry and brought incredible satisfaction and joy and transformation. Another theme in my life is how I was in highly religious environments, had no experience of the gospel, no experience of the Holy Spirit, no experience of God's voice. And when his voice broke in, it really changed me. Okay. And you might weave certain parts of the story, but if I tried to tell you all of that at once, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You ever watch a movie where you're like, they just needed to pick one thing that this movie is about. There's way too much going on. We can tell stories in the same manner. So you just, I didn't put that in the notes, but I feel like that's a critical thing. Some people do it intuitively, but if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm learning. And I'm like, how do I tell a good story? Okay. Begin with context. All right. Draw out the drama and the conflict beginning, middle, and tell the resolution, tell how Jesus helped you overcome. And in order to make it all make sense and be coherent, you got to pick a theme. Don't start off with how God delivered you as a father and end up with how, you know, I don't even know how to like, Jesus is the you know, line of the tribe of Judah or something. Like they just are both true. Yes, but you got to pick a theme. Okay. Just pick one to start with. All right. And so that might even be, you go, I don't know where to begin. That's a great, like, even before you set out beginning, middle, and end, just go, you know what? This is a theme that's in my story, and I'm going to pick that theme. A lot of times the theme makes sense. The, the most important way to derive a theme is by going, what's the most important transformation that's happened in your life? You know, and for me, it was learning that God was my father. Like, that's, 
an easy one for me. That's probably the thing, one of the things that's changed my life most. But there's also learning who Jesus was as a bridegroom. I have a testimony about that. That changed my story as well, you know. But I'm not going to try and tell both those stories at the same time. Does that make sense? Good. All right. So then I'm going to model this. I'm going to give Lauren, before I do that, any opportunity to interject anything she thinks is important. Then I'm going to model it. And then you guys are going to get a few minutes to write yourselves. We are right on time, too. I did that. Nailed that in 30 minutes. That's great. So, Lauren, anything you contribute, add? Can you talk into my ear, please? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but as Hazen is modeling his testimony, I want you guys to kind of like try to dissect where the context is, what the conflict is, and then we'll receive God come in and bring transformation. When you guys do your own testimony, um, on the back, there is the beginning, the middle, and the end, I think you can see. But I love the point that Hazen just said about giving a theme. And usually I think of like, if I have a title to my story, what would I title? Mm, that's I, good. And if you have a title of whatever theme you're wanting to draw out, I would just put it at the top of your page in preparation. And that can kind of um, anchor you. Like your context always draws to your theme. Your conflict always draws to your theme. So you guys can assess whether Hazen is doing that well when he's doing it. Um, I'm going to be so on point today. I promise. I'm not going to be all over the place. You're like, yeah, right. No, I really, uh, spasmatic is part of my appeal. (laughs) You're like, I don't know about that. No, it is. Um, So uh, thank you, Lauren. I think that's great counsel, great advice. So the other thing that I'll say is, you know, remember I was telling you, I don't want to set too high a high bar. I have done this a lot, like hundreds of times, okay? So as you hear me share your story, like unless you're already a gifted communicator, you're probably not gonna walk out being able to do it the same way. So just setting expectations go like, have you ever seen the person like who's really good at guitar and you're like, I'd like to play guitar, that was inspiring. And then you pick it up and you're like, oh, it was a lot harder than I thought. That's probably how it's gonna feel. You're gonna be like, that was amazing, I hope. Maybe I'll give you an example that makes you feel good about yourself. We'll see in a moment. But if it is really good, don't let that intimidate you from becoming good. Know that like it takes hundreds of times. It was funny. I was sharing with my cousin one Christmas and I just like kind of went into, I'm just going to share my story with her, but I just did it like I would do it, you know, like I'm about to do it. But it's just been, and she just looked at me. She goes, wow, you're like really good at that. (laughs) It's funny. She'd never heard the gospel. That was her first. I was like, don't be amazed at me. Be amazed at Jesus. Like, you know, but, but it was like, my point is you can become really good at it. Practice, practice doesn't only make perfect. It also makes permanent. Okay. So as you practice, it's going to, you're going to be able to have a capacity to consistently share and share it really effectively. Okay. So um, my, my family circumstance growing up was really broken. Okay. I'm the product of my dad's third marriage and my mom's second marriage. My dad went on to have a fourth marriage. My mom went on to have a third marriage. Okay. So seven marriages between the, the two of them. And, uh, and so my mom and dad, uh, they, they got married later in life and I was the unexpected child. I was conceived out of wedlock. My mom had never had a child before and she had lived kind of a, a party life like and and so she was like not quite Paris Hilton status but just imagine that okay <laughs> and that's my mom and she's wonderful and um 
and she's experienced a lot of transformation herself. And her having me was actually the beginning of her changing her life and moving towards God because she began to settle down once she had a, a child. But that was the family that I was born into. Unexpected, my dad already had two kids from a previous marriage, but both my parents loved me a lot, even though I was unexpected, and even though they had significant brokenness in both of their lives. So my dad, he's in his early 40s when I'm born, and he was an alcoholic before I ever came on the scene, okay? So I was born into a home situation where, though there was a lot of resource and my family was financially well off, there was just a lot of emotional brokenness and neither of them knew fully how to be the parent that I get to now be to my kids, right? And so when I'm about eight years old, uh, my, my, and I'm giving you guys just the real, like, I don't usually share this on a platform, but it's like the real talk. Okay. A, uh, I'd had different nannies growing up throughout, throughout my life. That was the kind of home and household that we were. There was always someone that was helping raise me alongside my parents and a woman who came into our home. And because of my dad's brokenness, my mom had stopped drinking because of some of what she was experiencing in her relationship with God and just seeing the destructive nature of it. And so what alcoholism a lot of times does is it, it, it attracts the companionship that other people that drink. And this woman was willing to stay up with my dad and drink and my mom wasn't anymore. And so that woman who entered our home as my nanny, uh, she would later become my stepmom. Okay. Let the reader understand. And, uh, and so during that time, eight, nine years old, when that kind of traumatic event of divorce and infidelity, and as an eight, nine-year-old, I should have been shielded from that, but my mom just didn't have a lot of confidants, and so I became my mom's confidant in the midst of the divorce. Just a lot of brokenness there. And again, my parents loved me. They were wonderful parents in many ways, always provided for me, but on the emotional and just offering a healthy home emotionally, they really lacked in that. And so, so I made a commitment in my life because of that. When I find the person that I'm going to marry, I'm going to be faithful to them. Okay. And, and so I went through my high school years. I dated around a lot. I was an, as effective dater as I was an evangelist, uh, as I am an evangelist now. And I learned through dating that actually there's a real correlation between inviting people uh, to if you invite a lot of people to the altar, you'll see a higher percentage. If you invite people on a lot of dates, you're going to go on a lot more dates. And so I just learned some simple principles there uh, about life. And I, I mentioned that tongue in cheek, just kind of do joking. But I, I was, I was, I, I sought satisfaction in the emotional, uh, in the emotional connection. You're all good. In the emotional connection that I didn't get from my parents. And I sought it in friend relationships and dating relationships. Okay. And so it's just a real distorted area in my life, real brokenness. But I still had this commitment because of what I experienced with my parents. When I find the right one, I'm going to be faithful. Well, you can see where this is going. I found the right one, the right person. I was like, this is what I'm going to marry. We started dating high school, went on, same college. We get further on in the relationship. But I'm unable to keep that commitment to faithfulness because of the brokenness in my own life. And I hit a rough patch where a bunch of other difficult things happened in my life. And I reverted right back to where I'd been getting comfort, a sense of satisfaction, purpose. And that was in these dating relationships. And so I, I ended up connecting with some old girlfriends and I was unfaithful to a girl that dated me. She was unfaithful to me uh, in, in, in reciprocation. I confessed to her and then she ended up uh, connecting with a guy, hooking up with a guy. You know, and, and, and then from there, it was just like this relationship that I was in many ways idolizing and building my life around kaput. 
And I realized, man, I have messed up one of the most important things in my life because I was unable to make a, a follow through on a commitment. And I could just in that moment see into the future and see 20 years from now, I'm going to be trying to stay faithful to my wife. I'm going to have two or three kids and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm going to end up doing exactly what my dad and my mom had done to me. And I felt no way out. I felt trapped. And so I returned to, I'd grown up a little bit in the church. I returned, I was like, maybe there's some answers in Christianity. I started to attend church again. And I remember I was at a Bible study at North Point Ministries. It was Louis Giglio, if you know who he is. Amazing uh, person I've gotten to intersect with a number of different times. But I was attending his Bible study. And I remember he put, I believe it was suitcases on the stage with him just to visually illustrate this principle. And I remember him looking at the suitcases and saying, some of you here are carrying baggage from your family. And you've got all different things in this baggage. And it's places where they've wronged you. You perceive that they've wronged you, misjudged you, or done something to hurt you. And you're just carrying this around with you. And he said, what's going to happen if you don't forgive them and release them is you're going to repeat the exact same things that, they, that they've done to you in the future. Because when you judge someone and when you focus on someone else's wrongs towards you, you just repeat them in your own life. There's a spiritual principle. And what he says, you need to forgive them and you need to ask God to give you new spiritual DNA. And you need to ask him to be your father. And I just remember that moment just being so clear. This is exactly what I've done. I've judged my parents in ways that I'm no different than they are. And I didn't, it wasn't like I'm a sinner. Like that wasn't the phrase that came to mind, but that was the recognition of my heart. Like, I can't do this on my own. And I'm just going to repeat the same brokenness in my family going forward that I've experienced in my own life. And so I, what I need to do is I need to forgive them and I need to ask God to make me new. I need him to change me. And so I say, God, if you will, if you will be my father, let me be your son. Let me become like you. I, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'm yours. It wasn't like dramatic, like everything changed overnight, but it was like in that moment, something changed and that something that changed began to grow and i began to feel convicted over my language i would cuss regularly i began to feel like a desire to be free from the hidden sins of sexual immorality that were going on in my life i began to want to read god's word and all these things came alive in me where those things were just dead and dormant before and i experienced this real transformation and now i've been faithfully married for 17 years with four beautiful children. And I'm approaching the age that my dad was when I was born. And so I'm looking a little more like I remember him when I look in the mirror. And I'm just so grateful because God has done it. God has done it. I'm not divorced, not addicted to alcohol, like the curses of the previous generations. God is breaking them in my generation. And I'm giving something entirely different and beautiful to my children. Amen. Amen. So. Now I'm going to model that fourth portion. If that resonates with you in your own story, right? This is what I would say to an unbeliever, but I could say it to anyone in this room. Maybe there's a place where you have to forgive someone where your judgment or anger or frustration is actually, actually holding you in bondage to the exact same patterns of sin and brokenness that you've longed to be free from, but you haven't realized you actually have to forgive, forgive yourself, receive God's forgiveness, and he'll make you new. He'll change you. And if you haven't done that in your heart, you receive his forgiveness and cleansing as we forgive and cleanse others of their debts to us. Amen. So if anybody wants to do that, actually, we'll just do a little time in ministry. They may say, hey, 
you know, I'd like to, I'd like to actually pray a prayer and release my family of some things that maybe I've been holding on to or brother or sister, things I've been holding on to. Maybe you can relate to the experience of being cheated on. And there's somebody in your life where that infidelity has brought a sense of bitterness into your heart, into your life. And you'd like me to just pray for you in this moment. I invite you to raise your hand. Thanks, sister. Thanks. Great. Amen. See that. So let's just close our eyes. Let's pray. I had a powerful dream in the dream. I just won't give the whole thing to you. But in the dream, someone came up to me in the prayer and they looked at me and they said, you must forgive everyone. I've forgiven my stepmom who was my nanny. Okay. Let's just be real. I've forgiven her. I pray for her. I pray for her salvation. Right? You must forgive everyone, even the people who are most deeply wronged you in your life. And so we just make that our prayer this, this afternoon. Lord, we forgive everyone. God, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your cleansing, your healing, your transformation. And if you need to put a person's name on your lips, like just say, Lord, I forgive. And just put, you can just say their name. Just whisper their name to the Lord. Just activate your faith in that. I'm choosing to forgive this person. And I release them. And I receive God's forgiveness for me. And Lord, I pray be merciful to me and change me. Give me new spiritual DNA. Transform me, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.